Hello, and welcome to the Strictly Fish Shop Science Radio Hour. I'm your host, Skylar Bear. Uh, Tom is not here with us right now because he's finishing up a dive trip with the Hurricane Island Foundation, actually doing a scallop research project. Um, first, I'd like to pay thanks to uh, the Island Institute, which helps support this program. They're down on Main Street. If you happen to be in Rockland listening, you can go uh, probably walk by their offices today, though I doubt they're open. Okay, so today what we decided to do, um, I say we because Tom did help me decide this, he's just not here, um, is we're going to talk all about solar eclipses since tomorrow there is a total eclipse of the sun crossing the contiguous United States. So technically the moon will be seen to cover the face of the sun for about two and a half minutes at most as observed from the ground. So all of North America, including Maine, um, and I'll talk about Maine's eclipses towards the end of the show, northern Mexico, the Caribbean, and even the north of South America will see at least a partial eclipse. So you'll see half the sun's face covered by the moon. And actually the weather for this area for tomorrow during the eclipse uh, is quite good, and we should see about 50 to 60 percent of the eclipse. So the streak of totality, that means 100% coverage. The sun's 100% covered. Um, and in a newspaper, it says a path of mystical power in the eyes of some. Um, but anyway, this streak of totality is a ribbon stretching from Oregon to South Carolina, which is about 100 kilometers wide or about 70 miles through its route. And so it'll take about 94 minutes, that's it, to cross the entire U.S., giving each place approximately two and a half minutes of darkness. Um, it'll cross the Oregon Pacific Coast at about 10.15 uh, Pacific Standard Time, traveling at 5,300 kilometers per hour, which I don't have the mileage off hand, but it's pretty fast. <laughs> so Salem, Oregon will see totality for only one minute, though, or a minute and 52 seconds. Um, it'll go through Oregon, as I said before, Idaho, a very tiny bit of Montana, Wyoming, Nebraska, Northeast Kansas, Missouri, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Georgia, small parts of North Carolina, um, and South Carolina. In fact, it ends in Charleston um, and heads out to the Atlantic uh, for a few hundred miles. So the place actually with the longest lasting view of the total eclipse is in that small part of the southern Illinois crossed by the shadow. Um, totality will be seen for two minutes and 42 seconds just east of the Mississippi, uh, very likely somewhere on the Buffalo Gap Road. Um, so we will be able to see it here for a bit tomorrow afternoon. So 10.15 a.m. Pacific Standard Time's Time is about... 1.15 p.m. here. I read that around 4 o'clock East Pacific time, uh, the, the eclipse will be com completely over. So what I want to do is to play a first-hand account of someone who is an eclipse enthusiast or became one later in life, and he can express better what it's like seeing a total solar eclipse. Back in the 1990s, I was a science correspondent for NPR. And in the course of working on a story, I got some advice from an astronomer that truly changed my life. Now, the story was about an eclipse, a partial solar eclipse that was going to cross the United States. 
and the astronomer Jay Pasikoff from Williams College uh, told me about the eclipse, how to observe it, um, and what made it interesting. But then he pointed out that, you know, a partial solar eclipse is nothing compared with a total solar eclipse, which is a completely different experience. And as he described it, a total solar eclipse is the most awe-inspiring sight in all of nature. And so the advice he gave me was this. He said, before you die, you owe it to yourself to experience a total solar eclipse. Well, that was a pretty bold language, and I took it seriously. And uh, the thing about total eclipses is if, is if you wait for one to come to you, you're going to be waiting a very long time. Any given point on Earth will experience a total eclipse about once every 400 years. But if you're willing to travel, you don't have to wait quite that long. So I did some research, and I discovered that a few years later, in 1998, a total eclipse was going to cross the Caribbean. And a total eclipse is only visible within a narrow band about 100 miles wide called the Path of Totality. And that's the, the zone that the moon's shadow races along across the Earth. And the Path of Totality in February of 1998 was going to cross Aruba. So I talked to my husband, and we thought, well, Aruba is not a bad place to be in February anyway. <laughs> so we made plans to go enjoy the sun and see what happened during that brief time when the sun went away. Well, February 26 found us uh, on the beach behind the Hyatt Regency waiting for the show to begin. And there were lots of folks out there, people with telescopes and binoculars who really knew what they were doing. We had our little uh, cardboard eclipse glasses uh, with really dark lenses that enable you to actually look at the sun safely, because obviously without protection you'll ruin your eyesight. And uh, we were waiting for the show to begin, and a, a total solar eclipse begins as a partial eclipse, as the, the moon very slowly makes its way in front of the sun. So we were watching with our eclipse glasses, and you could first see just this little notch in the edge of the sun, and then the notch grew larger and larger, and after maybe a half hour, um, now the sun looked sort of like a crescent moon, like a thick crescent moon, and it was all kind of interesting, but nothing particularly spectacular. The day was still bright. If no one had told us what was going on, we wouldn't have noticed anything. Well, about 10 minutes before the onset of the total eclipse, things started to get weird. Um, so first, just the, the, the quality of the daylight seemed different. Colors seemed different. Um, a, a, a cool breeze started to blow on this tropical island. And the shadows were different. The shadows had gotten really sharp, and it was as if someone had turned up the contrast knob on television. And we looked under the, the palm trees, and where the sunlight was dappling the ground, instead of little spots of light, there were crescents, because the spaces between the leaves were acting like pinhole cameras and projecting onto the sand the image of the crescent sun. And then I looked over the water, and I could see offshore the running lights on boats. So clearly it was getting dark. I hadn't realized how dark it was getting. And then very soon, it really was getting dark. And it was almost like my eyesight was going. And then all of a sudden, the lights went out. Well, at this, the, the beach just erupted with cheers. And we took off our eclipse glasses because at this moment, and only at this time, during the total phase of a total eclipse, it is safe to look at the sun with the naked eye. And we looked up, 
And I was just completely dumbstruck. Um, you see, at this time, I was in my mid-30s, and I'd been living on Earth long enough to know what the sky looks like. I'd seen blue skies, and I'd seen gray skies, and I'd seen starry skies and angry skies, and I'd seen pink skies at sunrise. But this, this was a sky I had never seen. Uh, first, there were the colors. So overhead, it was a deep purple gray, like twilight. But on the horizon, it was orange. It was like sunset, 360 degrees. And overhead, in the twilight, uh, bright stars and planets had come out. So, so there was Venus, and there was Mercury, and there was Jupiter, and they were all in a line. And, and along that line was this thing, this just glorious, bewildering thing. It was, it was this like wreath woven of silvery thread, and it was shimmering out there in space. <laughs> and uh, this is the sun's outer atmosphere, the solar corona. And pictures just don't do it justice, because it's not just a halo around the sun or, or a ring. It is this textured, frilly object. It's like it's made of, of uh, strands of silk. And it looks nothing like the sun. But I knew that this was our sun. So I could see the sun, and I could see the planets, and I could see how the planets revolve around the sun. And it was as if I had stepped outside of the solar system and I was looking back at creation. And it's like it all made sense all of a sudden. And, and I was looking up and then I'd look over at my husband, Paul, like, can you believe what we're looking at? It was just the most moving spiritual experience. And uh, it, for the first time in my life, I felt truly, utterly connected to the universe. Like there was nothing between me and everything else. And I think this is what they call nirvana. Well, uh, I was in this state for 174 seconds, under three minutes, and then all of a sudden, it was over. The sun came back out, the blue sky returned, the corona and the planets were gone. We had to put our eclipse glasses on. And it was as if I had briefly stepped through the back of the wardrobe into this fantasy world, and now I had just been yanked back to reality. And I was, I was hooked. I wanted to experience it again. Well, uh, the next year, a total eclipse was going to cross Europe. So I made plans to go to Munich, um, convinced my aunt and uncle to meet me there. And again, for three minutes, I got to enjoy this bliss in the shadow of the moon. But unfortunately, total eclipses uh, often travel to very inconvenient places, the, the middle of the ocean, Antarctica, Africa. And I had other priorities. Um, eclipse chasing is uh, expensive, too. So I decided that I would set this aside and focus on more practical uh, priorities. So that was my decision for about 10 years uh, until I reached my mid-40s. Uh, now to explain, when I was in college, my mother died. Uh, she was 48 years old. Uh, she died of breast cancer. And I knew that that was young. That was young. But when I was in my early 20s, I didn't understand 
really just how young that was. Uh, but now, as I was in my mid-40s and approaching the oldest age my mother ever attained, uh, I, I, it was difficult for me in many ways. I, I felt guilty that it looked like I was going to live longer than she did. And I grieved for her all over again. I just felt her loss, and I really understood how much of life she was denied. And it made me reflect on my own life. What is important to me? How do I want to spend my time? I hope that I get to live a nice long life, but that's not guaranteed. And even if I do, how do I want to spend those days that I have? And I reflected back on my life, and I kept coming back to those three minutes in Aruba that that was one of the most meaningful experiences I'd ever had. And I decided that as long as I'm still on Earth, I'm going to go chase eclipses. And, um, you know, I'm, whatever it takes, I'm going to go to where the moon's shadow is. Even if no one comes with me, I am going. And so I did. Uh, in 2012, I headed off to Australia. In 2015, I was in the Faroe Islands in the North Atlantic. And it was still exciting, but it didn't quite feel the same. And then it really struck me hardest last March when I was in Indonesia. So once again, I was on a beach watching as the, the sun went away and the corona came out. And at the end of it, when the t total eclipse was over, Instead of having that sense I had of that deep connection, I just felt utterly and deeply alone because here I was in Indonesia and everyone I loved was on the other side of the planet. And I came to realize that a big part of what made that experience in Aruba so special, it wasn't just what I was witnessing overhead, it was who I was with here on Earth. Which brings me to 2017. Uh, and this, this is the year I've been waiting for since that time in Aruba. Because this August, for the first time in 38 years, a total solar eclipse will cross the continental United States. The path of totality goes from Oregon to South Carolina. And it crosses Wyoming, which is just north of where I live in Colorado. And so I've got my plans all worked out. On August 21st, I will be in the Tetons at 10,000 feet uh, on a mountaintop, looking west toward Idaho to try to glimpse the moon's shadow as it races in. And I will be up there with my husband and my father and my stepmother and my brothers and their families and my aunt and uncle and cousins, and we're going to look as uh, this great shaft of darkness comes down from outer space and races toward us at 1,600 miles an hour, and a cool wind will kick up, and the stars and the planets will appear, and then the lights will go out, and together we'll take off our eclipse glasses and we'll all look up. Thank you. That was David Barron uh, for the Story Collider. 
Talk about his experiences with eclipses. It's a really moving story. I actually got to see that story told live in Boston in February this year, and um, it was such a great story live, and the recording is almost as good. So we're going to take a quick music break, and then we'll be back with more um, information about eclipses from NASA, from actually the Down East um, magazine. There's uh, some information in there from their 1963 article on the 1963 eclipse that passed through Bangor and uh, what's predicted for the future in 2024. If you're just tuning in, I'm Skylar Bear, host of Strictly Fisher Up Science Radio Hour, and we're talking all about the eclipse. So also, if you're just tuning in, tomorrow, if you're unaware, there will be a total solar eclipse that will be visible across the entire contiguous United States. Um, should be happening tomorrow in the early afternoon. And if you don't want to watch the skies, and I'll, I'll uh, give you some tips in a second, uh, also from NASA, about how to watch it. Um, you can watch it online at uh, www.nasa.gov slash eclipse live. Uh, around noon tomorrow online, there'll be an eclipse preview show. And around 1 p.m., they'll start the solar eclipse show through the eyes of NASA. With that, I wanted to play a video from NASA that they have that's pretty pretty informative about what is going on uh, with this eclipse. Presented by Science at NASA. On August 21st, 2017, the shadow of the moon will sweep across the U.S. landscape, transforming day to twilight. In the surreal gloaming of an eclipse, the temperature drops, birds go silent, crickets begin to chirp, and blossoms start to close. As this scene plays out across a 70-mile-wide path of totality from coast to coast, a continent-spanning wave of instruments, ranging from homemade pinhole cameras and certified eclipse safety glasses to the most sophisticated telescopes in operation today, will be trained on the eclipse across America. Just before totality, 
a point of glistening sunlight is visible, making the moon look like a diamond ring. Then, as that drop of sunlight shines through rugged valleys on the moon's limb, tiny points of light called Bailey's beads appear like a string of beads around the vanishing edge of the sun. But best of all are the pearly white streamers that emanate all around the dark disk at totality. Scientists eagerly anticipate this eclipse for the unique science opportunities it provides. Alex Young, NASA's Associate Director for Heliophysics at the Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland, says, This will be the first total eclipse to span the U.S. since 1918, and scientific instruments have come a long way. The event presents a perfect opportunity to shed light on phenomena such as solar flares and coronal mass ejections, or CMEs billion-ton clouds of magnetized plasma ejected from the Sun. To learn about their dynamics, researchers must study a region of the Sun that reveals itself during an eclipse, the corona. Solar telescopes can create artificial eclipses using disks called coronagraphs, explains Young. Unfortunately, man-made coronagraphs also block the Sun's inner corona, where CME eruptions originate. Fortunately, during a total eclipse of the Sun, the moon makes a better coronagraph. At totality, the sun's inner corona appears in clear detail. Totality lasts mere minutes at any one location. But the Citizen Kate experiment will be positioning 68 identical telescopes across the country in the path of totality. The combined network will capture 93 minutes of images and will show changes in the solar atmosphere. Matt Penn, astronomer at the National Solar Observatory in Tucson, Arizona, says, the telescopes will be operated by a variety of volunteers, ranging from middle school students to retired scientists and everyone in between. Meanwhile, NASA planes will photograph the sun, and a cadre of balloons will be floating near the edge of space to observe the eclipse. You can watch, too, live from the balloons on August 21st at eclipse.stream.live. The terrain and weather are quite varied across the U.S., and the moon shadow will briefly change the climate in each locale, sometimes with drastic drops in temperature within seconds to minutes. Young reminds everyone to be safe. Solar filters, such as eclipse glasses, are necessary to look at the sun directly. If you're in the narrow path of totality, you can safely remove your solar filter when the moon completely covers the sun. However, when the moon moves off the center of the solar disk, even a little, the sun's blinding surface reappears, and you should once again use your solar filter. NASA has a whole web page devoted to safety tips. Eclipse2017.nasa.gov slash safety. Many people don't know that the moon's orbit is slowly spiraling outward due to tidal forces. In about 600 million years, the moon will appear too small in the sky to fully cover the sun. Every solar eclipse is counting down to the last one. Young says, we live in a fortunate time. For NASA's live coverage of the eclipse, Go to www.nasa.gov slash Eclipse Live. For total coverage of NASA science, visit science.nasa.gov. All right, there you have it from NASA. Um, these eclipses, eventually, millions of years from now, won't be, won't be what they are now, completely blocking out the sun. So better get them in while you can. <laughs> um, so weather's looking good, like I had mentioned earlier in the show for tomorrow from here. And again, we'll only see a partial eclipse from Maine, probably 50 to 60% of it. 
Um, and so because there won't, we won't be in the path of totality, so we can't take off our eclipse glasses, first off, you can get uh, eclipse glasses supposedly at any chain store. I'm assuming in Maine, I personally haven't looked um, yet since I know someone with a few of them and actually a special box that he created for looking uh, at the eclipse. However, you too can fashion such a device. Um, according to yet another NASA video, you can use a cereal box <laughs> or really any kind of box. Um, I think the cereal box is better just in terms of how it's shaped for uh, being sort of a projector. So this is what they suggest is to clear the kitchen table and find the craft scissors. I'm sure any scissors will do. And if you have kids, you can use their cereal box. Um, so you need a cereal box, a piece of aluminum foil, tape, and a small nail or push pin. Um, so <laughs> it says to eat the Wheaties first and then keep the box. So on a white piece of paper or white cardboard, uh, it has to be white, trace the bottom of the box. Then clip out the traced rectangle from the paper and put it in the bottom of the open box. So you have your box open, the cereal top open, and you slide that piece of white paper that you've just cut out that covers the complete bottom of the box. Then you cut out two squares, 1.5 inches should suffice, they say, on the lid of the box, and then tape the lid gently back together, or tape the lid back together. You shouldn't have torn it apart in the first place, I guess. For one square, cover the hole in foil and tape it down, and gently push a push pin or small nail hole through it. And that's your lens. The smaller the hole, the sharper the projected image. Good to know. So if you have a push pin, great. Nail works too, but it won't be as sharp of an image. When using your personal box theater, turn away from the sun and let the sun's rays shine through the tiny pinhole. Um, look through the other hole in the lid to see the eclipse action. So you're, you've got your box, half of the lid is up and you can look through it and the other one has a hole through it and you're turned away from the sun. Um, so look through the other hole in the lid to see the eclipse action. During the eclipse, you'll see the moon biting a chunk from the sun. Um, other kinds of small boxes, they say shoe boxes or small package boxes work well too. I've seen people use like bigger boxes as well. So it uh, doesn't matter necessarily, I guess. Um, I will post this on the Strictly Fish Wrap Facebook page if people are interested anyone's listening out there and the most important thing is though and also nasa has great safety tips um do not look directly into the sun during the eclipse even though it's partially covered uh it is going to destroy your retina and actually there's some uh people alive today who in 1963 looked at the a partial eclipse and did permanent eye damage from really only a short period of time. So do not look directly at the eclipse tomorrow um, unless you're in the path of totality. And if you're planning on being in Maine tomorrow, that does not include you. So what's interesting is that back in 1963, there was a total solar eclipse that went right through Bangor. 
and it actually served an important function in the plots of uh, two Stephen King novels, Gerald's Game and Dolores Claiborne, which I have Claiborne. And then season three, uh, a season three episode of Mad Men entitled uh, 723. It was an important plot point, I guess, in that as well, if you're a fan of that show. John Updike mentioned the eclipse in his 1968 novel, Couples, saying only one other time had been so ominous in those years, the Wednesday. So this clip is from 1963. I got it off YouTube. Flying nearly eight miles aloft, a jet plane races the moon's shadow across Canada. Astronaut Scott Carpenter is among the observers aboard the speeding plane, gathering both data and photographs. This rare spectacular is caused when the moon comes between the Earth and the sun, blotting out Old Hall. To the ancients, this was a cause for superstitious alarm. Today, scientists know it means 100 seconds to gather important data. That is the time of the total eclipse. This base in Manitoba not only records visual, electronic, and photographic data, it also sends rockets aloft to study eclipse effects on top of the Earth's atmosphere. As the rockets take off to probe outer space during the phenomena, other scientists are making soundings of herring runs off the Atlantic coast. Thus, high in space and in the depths of the sea, researchers examine the mysteries of nature. There's no mystery about the next total eclipse in the U.S., however. It will be March 7th, 1970. So that is a great clip. I mean, they say that they only have 100 seconds to make these observations. And if you heard in the NASA clip before that, they have a system of satellites and observers and telescopes across the entire path of totality to get the full 94 minutes um, of data now, which is a huge difference uh, to think of how far we've come and 50 to 60 years. You know, the thing that's so interesting is we've, we've heard about how eclipses seem magical and mysterious and all that. They're actually highly, highly predictable. And you can calculate them out for like the next thousand years. You can calculate all of them. If you Google all the eclipses, you know, that have ever occurred or ever will continue to occur, you can map them all out. And actually, what's great is in ancient texts, when people talk about these eclipses and how mystical um it was, and we, we don't have certain dates for those historical events, you can actually back calculate when those eclipses were and calculate what dates these historical events and happen. This is, you know, 100 years B.C. or maybe several hundred years B.C., um, especially in Greek mythology where they've, you know, talked about these incredible solar eclipses. And then what's really interesting about that is that famous... Um, philosophers and mathematicians had predicted these eclipses and people thought they were crazy back then, but they weren't. They were just pretty good at math. So the next solar eclipse that's actually um, headed to Maine will be in April 8th of 2024. And what's really cool about this is that it will pass directly over Katahdin, um, which is really cool. And I'm sure, you know, several years from now, people will start planning to be watching from the top of Katahdin, assuming that you can get up there in April. Uh, I'm not 100% sure that's going to work out for everyone. It should be really cool, and it'd be, it'll be going from Me Mexico northeast across the United States um, and into, looks like, Newfoundland, actually. So it'll cover quite a lot of ocean as well, from the Pacific to the Atlantic. 
Uh, and some of the places that you'll be able to see it besides Maine would be San Antonio and Texas and Austin and Dallas and Fort Worth, Arkansas, um, including Little Rock, Missouri, Illinois, Kentucky, Indiana, a very small area of Michigan and Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, northern Vermont, including Burlington, New Hampshire, and, of course, Maine, like I said. Um, and it's interesting, the Down East magazine for the 1963, going back to the, the old eclipse, uh, the path of totality was only 53 miles wide. Um, the one this year, 70 miles wide, and it went basically right through Bangor, and there's this article basically writing to the Chamber of Commerce trying to make room for the, the quarter of a million people that will be swarming Maine in 1963, um, July 20th, to see this this eclipse. And, and they say in the article that another one won't happen in Maine in 200 years. But obviously that's not true since we have one coming up. So maybe calculations have gotten better in recent years. So with that, I am going to play... Um, which I'm sure you guys have all been waiting to hear, The Total Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler, who I hear will be singing it tomorrow. Um, I'm not sure. I'll look that up and tell you after the song plays.
All right, that was Bonnie Tyler, um, and she will be performing live tomorrow during the eclipse, that song, uh, on the Royal Caribbean uh, Cruise Lines on a ship that just left today, I guess, from Florida, headed to the Caribbean to St. Martin. Um, And uh, while that song was playing, I actually looked up um, The Guardian. They have a list, a suggested Songs for the Eclipse, 10 of the best. So that was number one. Number two is Soundgarden, Black Hole Sun. Uh, Carly Simon, You're So Vain. Um, Pink Floyd, Brain Damage slash, slash Eclipse. We listened to that, actually, or part of it uh, earlier. Klaus Nomi, Total Eclipse. Never heard that. Morrissey, Little Man, What Now? Um, Pet Shop Boys, Silver Age. Metallica, My Apocalypse, Nine, Roxy Music, Triptych. Um, I haven't heard these, but I'll have to listen to them tomorrow. The Alan Parsons Project, Total Eclipse. So we're just about out of time. If you've been listening, thank you. If you are not going to go see it outside tomorrow, uh, see the partial eclipse you'll be able to see from Maine, Try uh, nasa.gov slash Eclipse Live, and they'll be starting the pre-show around noon, and the real show starts around 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Um, I will post on Facebook the how to make your own viewing box. Um, So enjoy the rest of your Sunday evening. We might be back next week, but most likely we'll be back in two weeks, hopefully with Tom this time. And for my playlist, um, for my Eclipse playlist, I have Ray LaMontagne till the sun turns black. Take care and have a good night. Thank you.